And the truth is that all of us know, and we, we experience this, I'm sure, maybe on a weekly, maybe even a daily basis, that sometimes we don't live as if, in these different sermons we've looked at, as if God is there. Sometimes it's hard to see what God is doing. We don't live as if He's there. How do I live as if God is there when it doesn't feel like He's there? How do I live as if God is God when it feels like everything around me is crumbling and everybody and everything else seems to have more power and does more than God does? How do I live as if God is God? Last week we looked at how do I live as if God is for me when, when it seems as if He's not. Today we'll look at how to live as if God is better. And next week we'll wrap it up with how to live as if God is aware that He's not forgotten who you are, where you live, and what you're going through. The truth is, it's easy, as I said, to, to live and think as if God is not all of those things. And it gets tough. Life conspires against us. And so this series has been meant to, to help us see and to do the opposite of all that. To live as if God truly is there. As if He really is God. As if He is for us. As if He is better. As if He is aware. David, as I said, is, is credited with this psalm. And and, and let's assume for the sake of argument that he did write it. It makes sense that he would. You look at where he is. Look at, look at verse 1. He, he talks about thirsting and fainting and in this dry, desolate, and, and waterless land. He's in a wilderness. Now, uh, that, that part of the world is a very arid, very dry part of the world. Lots of desert very little water in some cases, and so that's where he is. What we think is he's being chased by King Saul, who wants to kill David. We talked about that a little bit last week. And so he's, he's, he's chased himself, he's chased David, rather, out into the wilderness. And so he's out in this barren, desolate place, deprived of everything that he needs to truly be sustained in life. He has no water, he has no food, and he's wondering what's going on. That's where he is. Now, the easy parallel, of course, is to say maybe that's where you are today. Uh, the truth is this, that some of you are right there. And boy, the external, the shell that you put on, and we come and smile at church, and I talk about this all the time, and we say, hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? And we just lie to one another in church. Well, I don't lie. We're in church, better not lie. We lie all the time. You lied. Listen, during a handshaking time, I guarantee you lied 20 times. You lie. Oh, I'm, I'm great. How are you today? Some of us are in a dry, desolate, waterless place. Some of us aren't, but you're going to be real soon. <laughs> just coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. That's just the way life is, isn't it? You say, well, I just got through all that. I know what it feels like. Or, boy, I'm right in the middle of it. Or, man, I hope it doesn't happen to me. But that's the way that life is. Sometimes it's going to be dry. And you will feel as if in your soul you are dying of thirst. Nobody knows. And you feel like you can't tell anybody. I mean, David wrote it for all the world to see one day. I'm dry. It's desolate here. And he's feeling very isolated, very empty, very thirsty. He talks about eagerly seeking God, about gazing on God, about not really experiencing God right there. He feels isolated even from God. Verse 6 tells us that he's lying in his bed. He's, he's up during the night watches. He can't sleep. He's restless. A few months ago, my, my mom purchased for me what's called a Fitbit. 
And I don't know if you've seen those. Harold, you and I have talked about these before, and, and Harold kind of put me on to this. And I thought, I'm going to get one of those, you know. Harold's cool, so I figured, out, you know, I'll join that, all right. And so, so I got me one. And, and, and what's interesting about it is it tracks my sleep. And so uh, when I fell asleep last night, finally, I got up this morning and I, I, I synced with the app and it told me last night that I got five hours and 53 minutes worth of sleep. And it told me also that I was restless 14 different times during the night. And it shows me how often I was restless. If David were wearing a Fitbit there in the wilderness of Judah, it wouldn't have registered any sleep. He would have been restless the whole night. Maybe you know what that feels like. You can maybe go to sleep after a while, and then you're restless, tossing and turning all night. That's how he's feeling. Now, there are those who would tell you that for Christians who simply have enough faith, you'll never experience that. You'll never go through a dry, desolate time. You'll never have a, a spot in your life where you lie awake at night, anxious and crying yourself to sleep, tossing and turning, worried incessantly. There are folks who would tell you that if you're a strong Christian, that'll never be the way things go for you. And as I've told you before, and I, and I don't say this to anybody but who's here, because I don't think anybody really listens outside, hopefully of a few of you that are here, but that's garbage. Uh, David, who was called a man after God's own heart, you tell me he didn't have faith in the Lord? He wrote this. He experienced what life is like in the desert. Don't you believe for a single second? Don't listen to anybody. Turn off the television. Walk away from the conversation. For anybody that tells you, well, if you just had more faith, this wouldn't happen to you. It's garbage. We all know it's inevitable that the dry, desolate, tough times are going to come. No matter how old, how young you are, or how much in between and middle age you are, it's going to happen. Life is going to throw it at you. So the question is not whether you as a believer in Jesus, whether we as the people of God are going to experience the wilderness, the question is not whether we will, but how will we face it? What will we do when we're there? And that's where Psalm 63 really comes in handy. This isn't a psalm just to read and feel good about. This is something, put this away in your pocket and say, when I'm going through that time, this will be my prayer. This will be what I go back to. I'll pull out those sermon notes and the stuff that I wrote down so that one day when I'm experiencing that, I'll know better how to handle it. Here's what David says in the midst of that dry, desolate place, in the midst of that isolation and emptiness. He starts off in verse 1 and he says what? God you are my God. He says, you're the mighty one. You're my hero. You're the high God. You're the only one who can help me. You're the only one who can deliver me. The only one who can save me. The only one that I'm wanting and needing during this time. He says, God, you are my God. Now, he could have started off. This kind of may seem like a little bit of what we call a lament psalm. That he's just pouring out his heart and it's just, oh, woe is me and woe is me. There's lots of that in there. And certainly there have been times when we just need to do that. But he doesn't start with any of that stuff. He doesn't start even with questions about, God, why on earth is this happening to me? 
I mean, God, I've done everything that I should be doing. Lord, I mean, I've checked off all the boxes. God, you know I've been in Sunday school for 150 years. I mean, I've been there every single week for that long. I've got gold stars for perfect attendance. God, I memorized all the verses when I was a kid. I went to every Bible school this summer, literally every one of them in Callaway County. I went to all of them. God, why is this happening? That's not what David says. I mean, he he could have allowed himself to become bitter and said, well, God, if you're so good, why is this happening? God, if you're really there, then why am I experiencing this? He could have begun to doubt whether the promises of God would be fulfilled in his life. But instead, while he's in the wilderness, in the middle of being so thirsty in his soul, of having everything around him feel like it's drying up, his opening line is, God, you are my God. In the midst of all of that, The isolation. All he does is simply reiterate at the outset, he reiterates his commitment to God. And let me just encourage you that if you're there right now, or when you face it one day, don't start with why. Because you might never get the why answered. Read the book of Job. Blameless before God. Guess what question he wanted to to have answered? Why? Guess which question was never answered? Never. 42 chapters. God spoke for four chapters at the end, and guess what question he never answered? Why? Never answered. If you start with why and continue to go down that rabbit hole, you can travel for miles and miles and miles, and you might never get an answer. Let me encourage you the next time that you feel isolated and alone and in that spiritual wilderness, start with a recommitment to the Lord. God, you are my God. I don't even know how I feel about saying that. God, I'm not even sure if I mean it completely, but God, you are my God. Your love, he says in verse 3, is better than life itself. You are my God and your love is better than life. He's seen the holy place. He talks about the sanctuary. He's looked at God. He's seen where God has made His presence known to His people. He's been overwhelmed by God's power and God's glory. He's felt God's love. And He says as a result of all that, God, You are my God and Your love is better than life. He'd rather die than live without God's love. And for him in that moment, that was a very real choice. So he worships God. He knows only God can satisfy him. And we'll find out a little bit more about that. I want you to look there on the back side of that little handout because there are some a spot for your own notes that you can write down some thoughts and some things that maybe you want to remember about this scripture. And then there's a little bit of a, of, of a fill in the blank and a, kind of a guide that we'll, we'll take through for the next few moments. God's love is better than, and David says, it's better than life. Now, here, here's what I want you to write down. Because, because when, when Logan pulls this up, go ahead and pull that one up. God's love is better than. There's not going to be anything in the blank, just so you know. You've been guessing. You've already written life in there because you think, oh, you know, that's the verse. Okay, you you guessed wrong. Sorry. It's a good guess, though. It's a good effort, but it's wrong. I want you to put in there, God's love is better. What is it you need to write in? I mean, you know, here's where I am in my job, and I mean, I hate it, and it's driving me crazy, and I need a new job. I mean, I need more money. I need some kind of rescue from where I am. God's love is better than than what? What is God's love better than for you? I mean, is God's love better than all the hopes and dreams you've ever had? Is God's love better than than, than the promotion that you've wanted, than the more money that you think you need? Is God's love better than all of that? 
Because truly in life, we come down to a choice sometimes. What am I, I going to view that's better? How will I live in light of that truth? David says, look, even if I die, God, your love is all that I need and all that I want. And if I'm experiencing that, then all of my circumstances may never change, but I have what I need. You want to talk about faith. Living as if God is better, no matter your circumstances, that is at the heart of faith. That's what faith is. It's not about name it and claim it. Well, I'm just going to claim these promises of God and nothing can touch me. Everybody's going to die, just so you know. So eventually it touches you. But what if you could say, God, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I think I need, no matter what would help me in this situation, if, God, I can experience your love, if you will show me, if you will reveal yourself to me, God, if I can experience it, then that will be enough even if things don't change. That's faith. God's love is better than what? What is it that you think right now you need or you would want? David said God's love is better than life. And then he shows us what he was about, what he was doing in the midst of all of this. How was he living as if God was better? God's love is better than whatever, so first I will pursue him. Verse 1 says it this way, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I seek, I pursue. God, I'm on the lookout for you. I'm intent on finding you. Lord, I need to see you in all of this. Let me just say this, that sometimes when I've experienced those wilderness places, my prayer has been, God, I just want to see you. I mean, it feels like, God, it's, you're just so distant. What's going on? Lord, just show me where you are right now. Show me what you're doing. I'm not looking for signs from heaven and pictures in the clouds. God, I just want you to reveal yourself in me. God, I need to see you. David says, I'm eagerly seeking. I'm pursuing you. He says, my soul, my, he says, I thirst for you. That, another version says, my soul thirsts for you. It's my inner being. Essentially saying, you know, no matter what I look like on the outside, Even if it looks like I'm keeping it all together inwardly, God, I'm desperate for you. I mean, that's what I truly want. He says, my body faints for you. That's like somebody whose relatives have gone on a long trip or maybe a kid standing at the door and they're just waiting. Boy, I'm just, I can't, I'm pining away just waiting for you to return. Looking out the window all the time. David here, this traveler who's thirsty and in this dry and difficult land, looking for the life-giving power that God brings, looking for any evidence of God's presence with him. That's truly what we all want in the wilderness. Verse 2 says, "I, I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. God, that's what I want. I've seen you before. God, I just want to see you again. When you're in the wilderness, let me encourage you. Start with that recommitment to the Lord and then occupy yourself with the pursuit of God. Everything around you will tell you, no, 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 that's garbage. Look at where that pursuit of God has gotten you. David says, you know what, this pursuit of God, being a man after God's own heart, wound up with me out here in the wilderness, but I'm not going to stop pursuing God because He and His love is truly what I want. Because knowing Him and experiencing Him I can say from experience and from what the Word of God tells you is better than being out of your circumstances. 
Because the truth is, you might wind up out of your circumstances, not having experienced what God wanted you to experience, learned what God wanted you to learn, and to learn, and experience truly experience His presence in your life. And guess what? You'll get to do all over again. You'll learn that same lesson all over again some other time. I will pursue, David says. I'm pursuing you. He goes on to talk about, here's what I'm going to do. God, your love is better than whatever, so I will praise you. Look at verse 3. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live. Verse 4. At your name I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I will praise you, he says. When? I mean, is this, is this for some time later, God? After you get me out of where I am, Lord, if you come through on all the stuff that I've prayed for, then I promise you I will praise you. I mean, I will sit up front at church. Guys, that's right. I mean, I, listen, I'm going to get there early, and I'm going to get the first seats up front. In fact, listen, if they'll put a chair up here again for me, I'll sit right up there next to the preacher. God, that's how much I'm going to praise you. I mean, everybody's going to see me. I'm going to lift my hands, jump around. I'm going to shout. I might even run up down the aisle a little bit and freak some people out at Elm Grove. That's what I'm going to do, God. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to praise you. I mean, after I'm out of the wilderness, Lord, you look out because it's going to be great. You know, for most of us, that's what we, we probably think. Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I promise. Now, God, I'm telling you, listen, I, I'm going to give 50% of what I make to the church. I promise, God, if you'll just do this one thing, I'll never ask for anything again. God, I promise, I mean, I'm going to give some time and some effort and some money. I promise. It's always after the fact. David says, no, not after, but right now. Right now in the middle of the wilderness, David says, I'm going to praise you. Right now in the middle of the wilderness, he's talking about having, being satisfied and being joyful. What? He's got no water. The dude is dying of thirst. He can't eat anything because there's nothing living around him. And God, I'm satisfied and I'm joyful. That doesn't even make sense. Until you understand, God, you are my God, your love is better than life, it doesn't make sense. He says, you satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The word satisfy there means I've got more than I want and it's the best of everything. I mean, it's as if I've sat down for a presidential state dinner and they have brought anything and everything that I want and it's the best food I've ever tasted. God, in the wilderness, that's what I'm experiencing from you, David says. He says, I'm going to praise you right here where I am. I'll surrender to you. I'll publicly praise you. I'll lift up my hands in celebration and surrender right where I am. What if? What if one of the keys to experiencing God's presence in the middle of where you are right now is to praise Him in the middle of where you are right now? You say, what am I supposed to say to God? Thanks for this? I'm not so sure. But to praise Him for who He is... God, you are my God. To praise him for, for what he can, can give us, your love is better than life. David praises him for future blessings. He'll talk about that in a few minutes. Just to praise God for who he is, what he's done, and what he can and will do. 
he goes on and he says, God, not only will I, will I praise you, but I'll also remember you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to praise you. I will remember you. Look at verse 6. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Now, these are his anxious moments, as I've already mentioned. These are the times when I'm up all night. And you know that, that nighttime, for the most part, is when we're most vulnerable. Physically, of course, we're asleep and sometimes during the night. And boy, if somebody were to come into the house, we're very vulnerable at that point. And certainly mentally and emotionally, isn't it true that when you're lying there and you're alone and the day's events and the week's events and the events of the past months and years, they begin to flood your mind mentally and emotionally. That's where you're extremely vulnerable. And David says, you know, I'm not having dreams here. I'm having nightmares and really just sleepless nights. Lying awake, thinking about it all. Restless. But it's in the middle of these anxious, anxious thoughts that he's allowing something else to dominate his mind. Because if you look at it, he admits his anxiousness. But what does he say? When I think of my circumstances, when I think of my wilderness, when I think of all the junk that's going on in my life, that's not what he says. He says, when I think of you, talking to God, God, when I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Tonight, when you put your head on that pillow, or you get up because you can't sleep, and you pace the floor, or you go get a drink of water, or you turn on the television and watch the infomercials all night long, they just keep repeating. You memorize them by the time it's over. Now, I don't speak from experience. i got friends that tell me about this. All right? I mean, when that's you, and you're up at night, and you can't sleep, and you're restless... What if part of the answer there, as David says, is not to think of, not to meditate on all the stuff that's going on, not to ruminate, not to murmur over that, but to say, God, in this moment, I want to focus on who you are and what you have done. I wonder what that would change. In the quiet of the night, as your fears come on you, I wonder if you'd seek out God for your peace. Just give it a shot. I wonder how many times you've said, Oh Lord, if you would do this and if you would do that, maybe tonight you'd say, Lord, I just want to experience your love. God, remind me of who you are and what you have done. He says, God, I will remember you. And finally, we see in verse 8, he says, God, I, I will cling to you. He says, I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. The word follow there does literally mean to cling to. It means to be glued together. In fact, it's used in another form in Genesis 2.24 where it says a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, be glued together, cling together, stuck together. Take that, fellas, in the right way. Stuck together in a good way. Stuck together. Nothing can separate us. He says, God, that's how closely I want to follow you. Because I know that it's your strong right hand, a symbol of God's power and love. Your strong right hand, God, that's what holds me up. And so God, I know if I have any chance to truly see life on the other side of this wilderness, Lord, I've got to follow closely to you. Now, I don't know what kind of advice you've been given before. Okay, you just need to get out of this situation. You need to, to, to move on from this. I've talked with person after person after person who's been going through the wilderness of life. And the one thing that I've settled on is that most of the time there's no way out. 
There's no way out. I mean, you can try. And some will maybe see that they, they think they've found a way out, whatever that way may be. Most of the time, though, what I've found in just talking with people and being a pastor for a few years now is that most of the time there's no way out. But there's always a way through. There's always a way through. David doesn't have a particular way out. He doesn't say, well, okay, now I've found my way of escape. Thank you, God, in these few verses here that I, all my prayers have been answered. But verses 9 through 11 show us what he expects. Based upon what God has done and who God is, here's what David expects. Those who seek to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become the jackal's prey. But the king will rejoice in God. Talking about himself. All who swear by him, by God, will boast. For the mouths of liars will be shut. That's some pretty strong words there. David just simply has confidence that victory will come from God. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know when. But he fully expects that God will be victorious. And that God's people, David being one of them, will be victorious. One of these days, as the saying goes, it all comes out in the wash. And David's just telling himself, you hold on until you see the victory of God. Until you see life on the other side of the wilderness, you continue to pursue God. You continue to praise God. You continue to remember who He is and what He's done. And you continue to cling and follow closely to God. Right in the midst of all that stuff, the truth is so many of us give up right in the middle of the wilderness. Right when we're about to experience the presence and the power of God, we give up. The question may be, do do we truly believe that we can see the glory and the power and the presence of God right there in your wilderness? Do we believe that God can and does come to us in the midst of all of those tough circumstances, making His presence known and showing us that truly His love is better than anything we could have prayed for? You, You fast forward a little bit to a couple of things that Jesus said. I'll read these and then we'll close. In John chapter 4, just write down the reference and you can go study it later. John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation here with a woman from Samaria. And, and, and she's at this well and he says, give me a drink. And, he, and he's just setting her up because he wants to help her understand truly where life and, and true fulfillment come from. And, and they have this conversation, verse 9, she says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? Because the Samaritans and the Jews didn't care much for one another. And Jesus answered in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket, <laughs> and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. I mean, you can get out of your circumstances. You can have everything all just, oh, it's exactly perfect. Well, the water's calm. I got everything I need plus some, and life is so great. And you'll get thirsty again. Because either that won't be enough or it'll change. You'll get thirsty again, he says. He says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. 
In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. And then in John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus puts it this way. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. What if there was a way to have life, to have fulfillment, to have satisfaction, to have a drink, if you will, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness? What if there was a way to be filled, to not be alone, right where you are? What if there was a way to experience something that's better than anything that you would choose in the middle of that wilderness? And Jesus said, He is that which is better. He says, Come to me and I'll give you water that you can't even explain. I'll give you water that wells up within you and in the middle of all of that, you'll be that person who life is crumbling around and you're still fulfilled. You're still experiencing the love of God. In Acts chapter 3, the apostles were talking and they challenged the people. They say, repent, it says, and be converted. The way I memorized it was repent, therefore, and be converted so that times of refreshing can come from the Lord. It's conversion. It's changing from being an unbeliever to a believer in Jesus that brings refreshing in that living water. And then for believers, it's that daily filling of the Holy Spirit that says, no matter what's going on around me, I've got living water. There's somebody here today, I guarantee you, who either needs to repent and be converted from unbelieving to believing, or today simply needs to cry out, God, you are my God. I'm seeking you and just you. I want your love. I want your living water that's better than life. Lord, I'm a believer, but I've not really experienced that. Fill me up. In just a moment, we'll close. I'll I'll pray, and we'll stand, and we'll sing a closing song. And it'll be during that time that maybe God has been working on your heart, and maybe He said something to you, and you just feel this tugging, this nagging from the Holy Spirit, and then it's time to respond. Don't leave here today without responding to what God has said. I'm going to stand down here. If you'd like to come and have me pray for you or talk about something, that's fine. I'll be down here. Maybe you like to come and kneel and just get along with God, or you want to do business with God right there at your pew, and all of those options are totally fine. But I wonder what has God said to you in the middle of your wilderness or for the one that you will face? Is His love better than life? Is living water flowing from within you? Do you truly know Him that way? And if not, don't leave here today without having answered those questions. Let's pray together.